Thank you for tuning into Merch Motel Radio. I have a lot to talk about. I went to New York City for only four nights and about five days, and I did so much while I was there. I tried to squeeze in as much as possible and still didn't have enough time to see everything I wanted to see. So of course, I have to go back someday. And I've been posting about it a lot, and I think people thought I was there for a while, but no, I wasn't. It's an illusion. (laughs) Not really, but I just had too much to talk about. So it took a while to showcase everything. So going to New York City, I knew I really wanted to um, stay at the TWA Hotel, which is at the John F. Kennedy Airport. And the history of this place is crazy. So at the JFK Airport, there was the TWA Flight Center, which was an airport terminal. Um, And this was built in the 1960s. And first of all, it's like the most beautiful place ever. But really quick, brief history, it operated as a terminal in 2001. At one point, it was declared a New York City landmark, I believe in the 90s. And um, after it got declared a landmark, it closed to the public. But I believe the only part that was protected was the exterior of the terminal. It has all these like tunnels that you would take to like enter the terminal. Those tunnels within themselves are so beautiful, but they didn't know what to do with it. So it was abandoned for a few years. And I think everything around it was going to get demolished. And essentially the terminal was going to be just left as is, aka sort of like abandoned. And they were planning to, you know, expand the airport and stuff. So they were going to build around it. And once you demolish those tunnels, like, okay, what are you going to do? So um, after the news got out that they were going to take apart the tunnels, I believe the public and everyone was like, I don't think so. So people were able to stop that from happening. And then long story short, oh my God, I don't even know what I'm saying. They ended up restoring and repurposing this terminal and like almost everything I feel like is pretty much intact. And they went crazy with restoration. It is insane. It's really like transporting to a different time and place. It feels unreal when you're in there. Um, So in 2020, February of 2020, I went to Palm Springs Modernism Week. I went to a panel where they were showcasing and talking about restoring this insanely beautiful place and respecting the integrity of it and trying to keep as much of it as they can and all the intricate details and work that went into the restoration process. And I was with my friend and we were freaking out and we were like, we need to go. And then the pandemic hit and fast forward to now, um, I finally got to go and it is really like mind-blowing i can't even describe it i don't even think i'm being dramatic like it is insane like when you enter that place i've seen photos and stuff but like when i saw it in person oh my god when so the first thing i did when i went to new york was i landed at the jfk airport and i booked a room at the twa hotel for only a few hours because you can do that it's really nice you don't have to leave the airport to go to the hotel because it was originally a terminal So if you fly in with JetBlue, um, you can like walk to the hotel. But even like the way you're transported into the hotel is really cool. There's an elevator you take and you're like in this airport. And once you get into the elevator, there's two buttons and one of them says present day JetBlue and the other one says 1960s TWA hotel. And once the elevator doors close, um, like 1960s music starts playing and the elevator goes up and the doors open and you are literally transported to the 1960s. Like really, I okay, <laughs> I can't talk because it's like my mind was blown because I try not to look at like a lot of videos and stuff when I'm gonna go somewhere because I like to really be surprised by everything. And I had certain ideas of how beautiful this airport was. I mean, I even went to that panel where I learned so much about it, but the doors open and It's this um, whole office setup that you first see that's like literally stuck in the 1960s with memorabilia, papers, an old telephone, typewriter, all the stuff, an old desk and an office chair. And right to the left of that is the tunnel. It's just this long red tunnel, I guess. And um, it's so simple yet pretty. I was gonna say beautiful, but I keep saying that every two seconds. And you're just walking down this super long tunnel and as you walk through it, even even the lighting. And it's not just like a boring tunnel. It's like so simple yet elegant. You walk down and you enter like the hotel and it is fully restored. It is like 
really it felt like I was in a dream there's music playing there wasn't that many people which was nice I also got there at I think six in the morning and the view oh my gosh it's so good you guys like the time I was there too was like right before sunrise or like yeah so the lighting was perfect and I hadn't slept all night all day so I was so exhausted and I was also in this place that felt unreal. There's literally a sunken lounge that's fully restored. And there's the old, um, I don't know what the name of it is, but it's like a screen for departures and flights that are arriving. And it has the, uh, you know how like the back then the numbers would like flicker. It's not like a digital screen. So it had that and it actually would like animate and work. All this like retro furniture all around the hotel and really the terminal looks like pretty much the exact same as it did when it first opened and i don't even know like okay i posted photos of it so check it out but also like search it online if you want like quicker access just everything is like curved and um there isn't really it's like so smooth there's no like sharp angled surfaces i guess and even the steps, I notice as you're going up the steps, the steps are all curved too, like inward and outward. That makes no sense, but just pretend you understand. And I was, I'm sure they get so many people who are just there to see it because it's so beautiful. But I was just like walking around back and forth for like hours. Everything is just like beautiful and spacious and really feels like a 1960s paradise. Like the only way I can describe it. You walk upstairs, and there is like a whole display of vintage artifacts and flight attendant uniforms and the pilot and it's just like on display through the decades and you can just like go and look at it even the display is so elegant and well done so you walk around and there's this really nice music and the lighting is perfect you're on a red carpet wow i remember when i went to the presentation they were talking about how i think the most um what's the word like uh whatever the the most complicated i guess process to restore was the uh almost like penny like tile work all around the terminal and it's like all the tiles are individually placed and it's like a custom design and they restored like all of it. Even going up the stairs, it's all on the stairs as well. I walked around, took a million photos and was about to cry because I couldn't believe this place was real. Literally everywhere you go, it was just like looking at a perfect room. I don't even know, like every angle, every everywhere you look is just perfect. And they restored all these like really pretty um, like seating areas as, as well with artificial plants around them. So I walked around everywhere and I was like, oh my God, I can't even take all of this in. And then I walked back, like everywhere I went, I went like a million times. And there's this one section where you like enter through this like really pretty doorway. And again, it's not like it's this like grand doorway. The way the doorway was shaped was this arch that sort of blends into the curve of the building. Really, like, I don't know how this was all real. You walk in, and within this room, there's hidden, almost hidden, like, little seating areas that are also so beautiful on their own. And they're, like, small little seating sections. I kept walking around, and they had, like, the um, telephone section with vintage telephones on display. Um, a shoe shine section. It was cute because they even had like a retro photo booth that was free and you can take photos inside. Like right by the lobby, they had all these um, flyers all mounted onto the walls of all the old TWA advertisements from New York, Las Vegas, Hollywood, and all the iconic illustrations of the landmarks and stuff. Seriously amazing. And of course they had like classic cars on display and even inside the cars was like vintage luggages and things that matched the whole theme and vibe of this place. I cannot believe this place is real. Like that's me saying it for the hundredth time, but literally how is this place real? Um, and of course a little gift shop. So I bought some socks. Aero Saarinen was the architect who designed the 1962 TWA flight center. And they even had all of the um, drawings on display and there was a little description that said the entire structure was built with only 60 drawings. Today, you couldn't even construct a doghouse with 60 drawings. And it's 
the, pretty much like the blueprints of the terminal and even the blueprints are just beautiful works of art so after i was there for a while taking a lot of photos and taking everything in and like about to have a meltdown because it's so beautiful um i checked into my room and the rooms themselves are additional structures that they had built outside of the main terminal and at modernism week they had talked about how they didn't want to um obstruct the view of the main terminal and also you know work with the integrity of the design and and showcase like the appreciation of this place and they did an incredible job so i checked into the room and the room itself is beautiful um it had a view of the flight center um a vintage telephone in the room and i believe there was like a little cocktail bar within the room but unfortunately no more drinks in there then there's the um outdoor pool so if you're staying at the hotel, you can go to the pool outside. You have a view of the planes flying in and out while you're in a heated pool. Like, what the heck? <laughs> it's so cool. Um, and outside of the terminal, there's actually a real vintage airplane from 1958 that had been brought here and converted into a cocktail lounge. It was closed when I got there because they're open later in the day. But even the fact that they have that, like literally every aspect of this hotel it's like, how? Um, so anyway, if you're at JFK, make sure to go here. Um, if you're in New York, literally spend an extra day and come here because it is so worth it. Um, okay, I can talk about this forever. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I was just like, wow, at everything I saw. I tried to take a little nap because I was awake the whole time, but I was too, like, my mind was all over the place, so I didn't. <laughs> and then, yeah, I went to New York City afterwards. I was in New York City... I was probably awake for like 32 hours straight or something. After the TWA hotel, I went to my actual hotel that I'm staying at while I was in New York City. And um, I saw so many things. And so I had a whole list of recommendations that people sent me. And thank you for that. It was so many recommendations, which was awesome. So I had to like narrow it down. And I'm like horrible with like planning and directions. I was like, okay, I don't know what to see what day and I get really overwhelmed and I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna like wing it and see what happens. There is this incredible building that is home to Macy's and when it was built, I believe it was built to be a Macy's and much of the exterior is preserved and original and it's like, of course, it's over a hundred years old so you know the building is filled with details outside and has so much like beauty and history to it and I knew that inside of this Macy's there were some wooden escalators that I was like you know what I need to see these escalators so I walked in and I thought you know <laughs> maybe inside there would be a lot more historical aspects preserved but when I walked in I was actually surprised to see that it looked like any other Macy's in any mall you go to which was actually very disappointing but there was something in there that was very cool that are these wooden escalators so it was worth it for me um i walked in and i really like i had heard of these escalators but i didn't know much about this macy's and i was like okay i'm on a hunt to find these escalators and i didn't realize this store was like nine stories tall so i'm on the hunt i find some escalators and they're like modern so i'm confused and i keep going around finding everything and then like towards the back i find more escalators i noticed that the um what is it called? I guess like the sides, like the support area. I don't know. The, the structure of the escalator was wooden, but the escalators themselves were more like modernized. So those weren't original. So I was confused. I was like, oh, are these the escalators that everyone's talking about that, that are the wooden escalators? And the sides are wooden. And to enter the, I guess, escalator room had, you could tell, was like the original wooden doors that you would walk in to. So those were still there, which were cool. So I like so took my phone out and I was like, okay, I need to like find out where these escalators are. And I saw a photo where the escalators are like actually wooden themselves, the steps, you know? Um, so I'm like, oh, I guess it's in a different section. Anyway, I found it. I don't know why I was so drawn to these escalators, the sounds, the way they looked. Like I was just staring at them really for a long time. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, well, I do know why, but yeah. So I find them and I'm like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. So these were built from the 1920s to the 1930s by the Otis Elevator Company. And um, this company is still here today, I'm pretty sure. And pretty much like 
The escalator steps are wooden and so was like everything else about the escalator. And it made such a unique sound. I just love the way it sounded and looked. I was just like looking at it, taking videos, staring at it for a long time. And it goes up several floors. So I took the escalator, one up and up and up um, and down. Like I don't remember which way I was going. And at one point they got really narrow, which was really cute. Um, so I walked in and it's like super tight. And these are all wooden as well. And then I took them all the way down and I was just like standing, taking photos and videos and staring at them. And people, you know, kept walking to use the escalators and were probably like, what is this dude doing? And I'm like, they're wooden escalators. Like, oh my God. So I walked around Macy's. I was like, is there anything else here that's cool? And pretty much there wasn't, nothing that I saw. There was a little like, like a storage door built into the walls somewhere behind like a cashier, I think that I noticed. I was like, that's cute. But that was the only other thing I noticed. But outside is beautiful and I was very happy and yeah and then I went to my hotel room because I was exhausted but wow what a wonderful place. So the next day I met up with my friend and I went to the Grand Central Station and of course that's also beautiful and we went to the Catskills Resorts, the former Catskills Resorts and thank you Isaac for showing me around because my mind like I said a million times already was blown. So it was awesome because he sort of knew everything and where to take me. And I wouldn't have gone there alone because like, I don't know anything. Pretty much, we did a whole podcast episode about Catskills Resorts, specifically the Borscht Belt. So you guys should check that out. It's called Summer in the Catskills with Isaac Jeffries. Um, and he's the one who showed me around. And we talk about the history and like the rise and fall of these resorts. And I've seen a lot of photos he does some incredible photography of these resorts and you should check out his Instagram as well to see them. Like it feels like an alternate world. It's really wild. So we went and there's like a bunch of these resorts that are literally abandoned and stuck in time. And a lot of them were built from the 50s to 60s, like these main ones we, we visited. And you go inside and you can see the skeleton of mid-century design everywhere but it's literally falling apart, deteriorating. And of course they're all super vandalized. But we went to this one bowling alley that was a 1950s, 60s bowling alley. Obviously it's completely sort of destroyed, I guess, but you can tell how beautiful it once was. And like the original tables were sort of there as well as the, um, what's that thing called that the bowling balls come out of? Like that was still there. You can see the mid-century design elements of these things. And of course, through the years, they get more destroyed. And if it's not by people, it's also just by nature, you know. So there were incredible structures, as well as some signs here and there. And even inside the buildings, there is like old 50s luggage tags just on the ground. People's personal notes and stuff everywhere. Like these places were literally left and just stuck in time and just started falling apart over the decades. And in between these resorts, there was like little towns and it seemed like majority of the stores and stuff in these towns were closed, but they too had really beautiful old signs and structures. It was just so trippy to see it all. One of these resorts, we walked in and even the stairway, like the railings of the stairs have custom designs to them that tie into the building and the overall theming of the room that you're in. And there's this beautiful wall um, that looks like it's um, sort of carved artwork onto this wall. I don't know how to describe it, but it was originally colorful back in the day. And this resort lasted um, pretty long. So it, it lasted, I believe, until the 2000s. I might be wrong. And then it was painted beige and then it was shut down. But I'm like, this artwork needs to be saved. And a lot of these buildings can't be preserved at all because they're literally falling apart. And it's really sad to see. It, it really does not feel real. You walk in and there's just like design details all around you within the way the building is built that you would never see today in a new building. And it's very rare to see today in existing buildings because everything sort of gets demolished or altered over the years. So going here is like really seeing stuff that have not been altered and are just decaying. It really is such a hard experience to describe because seeing these pictures already are just like, oh my God. But when you're there in person 
and you see these things and you're surrounded all around it, it's almost like emotional, I don't know. Pieces of the past, very little that remains outside of the buildings itself, but you can see like an old trash can that's like beat up or just like chairs that are broken, but they're like vintage chairs. And then you look at old photos of this place and how it was so alive and so beautiful and you see it now and it's like decaying. Oh my God, it trips me out. There was even an abandoned ski resort section with a sunken lounge there. This one was built in the 1970s, I believe, early 70s. One of the most beautiful places that I saw was an abandoned theater with a chandelier that was imported from somewhere. And like, really, I cannot believe it's real and it's falling apart and it is so beautiful. Like the main stage is there and hundreds, if not thousands of chairs surrounding it. And you walk inside and it's pitch dark. It was raining outside and you're in this room that at one point was this grand, magnificent, beautiful place and the bare bones of it are still here and you can totally envision it being alive someday and everyone being mesmerized while they're in this room and you're there today and it is like an apocalyptic world almost. It was also really interesting to see because like we saw certain buildings and stuff that were filled with vintage and antique furniture and I was just thinking like maybe when some of these places closed they filled this room with all this vintage furniture to like save it but then this building got abandoned too so it's filled with like so things were put here as storage but then everything here was also left abandoned it was just crazy to see everything everywhere we went was overgrown with nature so okay you go into like we saw a pool but the pool is just filled with like plants growing inside and outside the pool and then also on top of that this used to be an indoor pool but it's now outside because the building is no longer here and like nature has taken over it's just so trippy and as you drive by you'll just see like old entryways and stairways to literally nowhere with nature taking over because it's like this was the original entrance to probably this hotel that's no longer here or you can't even see the hotel because all these plants have grown and trees have grown that are covering it. It's really crazy. Um, one of the things, this is sort of off topic, but I love also driving through Route 66, the original route through different states because there's a lot of almost abandoned and ghost towns there with beautiful structures that are again stuck in time, but also it's like the same situation where they're falling apart and is almost like surreal to see, but you can tell what it once was. I really love exploring places like that because you can almost feel the, um, soul of the place and another interesting note is like you know how we have a lot of historic places here that sort of like they'll get destroyed or someone will like take over the building and completely strip away all its charm and character and there's like just the main structure of the building that is sort of original and you're like well this is all that's left from the past this was a different perception of that i guess this these places were like didn't feel like that at all. It was just a different way of seeing something from the past that's like no longer here, but is here. I don't know, it trips me out. So yeah, I posted some photos, I'll be posting more. Make sure to check out Isaac Jeffries on Instagram too. He captures these places like no other. Okay, there is this Mickey Mouse clock within the Catskills Mountains, within the Porsche Belt area um, that we went to and it is, I'm sort of obsessed with it. It's huge. And it was originally built in 1951 and it was attached to an insurance company building, but it wasn't always a Mickey Mouse clock. Um, in 1966, one of the hands of the clock fell off and the clock was gonna be sort of like thrown out. And someone suggested like, we should turn it into a Mickey Mouse clock. So they converted this giant clock into a Mickey Mouse clock where like, you know, the clock arms were Mickey Mouse's arms. And it was there from, 1966 until 1978 it was removed once they like remodeled the building and then it was taken to a historical society for 35 years and then it was brought back to the original town it was in when they built a new library and the clock was fully restored it's so charming to see it's a small town with like a clock that was made by the people in the town and there's some history to it i really love it so the next day um i decided i want to go to the site of the world's fair for some reason, the whole time I was in New York City, I felt like everything just like worked out the way it was supposed to work out. Things I wanted to see 
I saw, but in a more like elevated and incredible way, which I'm going to get into. It's like the city, <laughs> and I sound crazy, but it's almost like the city and universe knew I was there to like document and appreciate all these places. So it was like more beautiful than ever. That's me being dramatic, but really I, every second of everything I did, I was just like, oh my God. Um, so I went to the site of the World's Fair, the New York World's Fair that was held there in 1939 to 1940, as well as 1964 to 1965. When I first got there, I noticed all these like mosaic tiles on the ground that I think may have been from the 1930s. I'm not too sure. And they were installed for the World's Fair. And a lot of them are like sort of all the tiles taken out. Some of them, there's concrete poured over it, but some pieces are still there. I walk and I see the Unisphere and oh my God, it's massive and beautiful. I was just standing there taking it all in. You walk and there's all these trees. And then as you get closer, the Unisphere gets bigger and all the fountains were on. I didn't realize that apparently the fountains haven't been working for several months, if not years. That added to the experience and the fountains were originally there too back in the day. So this was built for the 64 World's Fair and I'm very happy it's still here because it's just this beautiful structure. So it was designed by Gilmore D. Clark and it was um, commissioned to celebrate the beginning of the Space Age. It was designed to be the theme symbol of the World's Fair. And the theme of the World's Fair in those two years was peace through understanding. So this was built in the 60s. And then in the 1970s, it wasn't maintained, so it became really dirty. And in the 90s, they fully restored it. And it became a landmark in 1995. But in the 2010s, it was restored again after another period of disrepair. And today, it is a beautiful landmark. And the fountains were working. What a sight to see. There was the Hall of Science building, which I didn't have enough time to go into. And there was also the observation towers that are not in use and don't look like they're in the best condition, but they're still there. So I decided to check out the Queen's Museum and I didn't really know what was in this museum. I knew they had a lot of like vintage souvenirs and stuff from the 64 World's Fair. I was like, I'm excited to check this out. The museum is free and I was so shocked and I walk in and I'm just like enjoying everything around me. And I see some signs that says the panorama of the city of New York this way. And I'm like, what is this? And I had no idea this existed. And it's this massive, huge, like seriously, it's huge, miniature model of New York City. It's incredible. And I'm like, what is this? Was this built for the museum? I didn't know what was going on. And I learned it was created by Robert Moses and Raymond Lester for the 1964 World's Fair. And at the time, it was the largest scale model. So I don't know what's bigger than this because this thing was huge. And I mean huge in terms of like um, how much surface area it was covering. And there's like railings all around it so you can walk all around the room and look down and see this model. And the model even lights up and all the city lights turn on and there's a little airplane that flies over the buildings and... Oh my God, it's crazy. And in 1992, the model was updated with over 60,000 changes to reflect the current day in New York City. And I think the concept of it was after it was built for the World's Fair, it was to be used to help um, continue, you know, developing and working on New York City and having like a physical model slash map of the city. But this thing is like really crazy. I can't even imagine how much time it took to build that. And I'm glad it's saved, you know, because a lot of things just get thrown out <laughs> from back in the day. And it's still beautiful to see. So I can't even imagine seeing this like in the 60s because it's still mind blowing today, like the TWA Hotel as well. But also maybe it's because we don't have as many beautiful things anymore today and everything that is built isn't stunning. So maybe they're more used to seeing incredible, beautiful things back then. Okay, I don't know. Well, they for sure were, but maybe they weren't as... um impressed as maybe we are today. I don't know. I'm just talking and rambling. So I was in this museum and then there was another smaller miniature model of just the World's Fair itself. And I think that was built for the World's Fair as well. And a huge wall of vintage souvenirs and displays and all these incredible things that you could have seen if you went to the World's Fair. So after the World's Fair Museum, I want to see this giant Pepsi Cola sign in Queens. Again, just like everything else I'm talking about, the sign was massive. And it was originally built in 1940, installed on the top of the Pepsi-Cola bottling factory. 
and it's the old Pepsi Cola logo that looks like the Coca-Cola logo, you know? It originally said five cents on the sign, but that was removed, I believe, in the mid 40s when the prices for Pepsi Cola went up. So we don't know where that five cents sign is. It was probably thrown out. And then next to the Pepsi Cola, there's a giant Pepsi bottle. Um, and that bottle itself is 50 feet tall. In the 70s, they updated the bottle to reflect the current day Pepsi bottle. So the sign was rebuilt in 1993 after the Pepsi factory closed in 2003 and it was moved to Gantry Plaza State Park. Um, it was almost destroyed in 1992 and the city wouldn't designate it a landmark and it wasn't until 2016 that it gained landmark status and surprisingly even the sign's owner didn't want to landmark it either. Anyway you can still see it today I believe it all still lights up with neon tubes and if you're in Manhattan you can actually see it over the water it's a huge massive sign and it's in Queens wow amazing one of the signs that I was like I have to see the sign was in New Rochelle New York so this was pretty far out of the way it took me about an hour and a half to get there and I knew there was this beautiful vintage neon sign and I got there like before sunset and the sign was lit up I was shocked I didn't know it still lit up so I was really excited um, and it's a television service slash repair shop and it's still in business and it says Telerama and the letters are curved like the old Cinemascope logo and underneath it says Color TV and each letters of the words color are in a circle and each letter is a different color and they all light up with neon and there used to be a vintage NBC peacock on the left side of the sign but that was removed. I took a peek inside, the shop was closed when I got there and they've been in service for over 62 years and inside there's all these um, vintage televisions on display and radios and I was like this is awesome I wish they were open but I'm so glad they're still in business and it's just a charming small storefront I kept walking around and I went everywhere and I saw a bunch of historic buildings and signs and all these things that I didn't even know what they were but I was taking pictures and so I remembered there was a neon sign in the shape of a harp in New York City so I'm like, I need to find this. I found it and it's the Dublin bar. There was so much history and story to this place that I didn't realize at first. And I learned a lot while I was in New York. Every time I saw something, I would just, my brain would go everywhere and I would do research and like fall in love with everything. But, um, so I wrote about this on Instagram and I'm gonna read what I wrote. Um, the Dublin house is in New York City and it's been here since prohibition in the 1920s. And it didn't start to officially operate as a pub in 1933 post-prohibition. They've been in business for over a hundred years. In 1933, when they became a pub and they were legally allowed to serve alcohol, they installed the neon harp outside the entrance and it's original from the 30s. But obviously over the decades, the sign was left in disrepair for years and it was way too expensive to repair it. But it was restored this year. Like, isn't that wild? A GoFundMe was created, over $15,000 was raised in 24 hours, crazy. I love that there's so many people who appreciate and respect these places and want to protect it. And it really is the people who live in these cities that keep the charm and history of these places alive. It's unfortunate that a lot of times the city itself doesn't help protect historic businesses or places that make the city unique which attracts more people to want to come here it's often the people who live here like here in los angeles we see that a lot if it wasn't for the folks that live here so many of these amazing incredible places wouldn't be here because a lot of the people who are local to the area fight to save and preserve as much as they can because a lot of times the city itself sort of doesn't care it's unfortunate so I'm very thankful that there are so many people who are passionate about preservation and restoration and, and I hope that I can reach more people to appreciate and care about more places like this because you never know whose mind you can change and that person could figure out a way to save something that you thought couldn't be saved. Anyways, I went off topic, but I'm very thankful for things like this. The very little neon signs that are left in the city should really be taken care of, especially since a lot of ugly LED signs have taken over like neon signs. Also, what's really crazy is that I learned that in the 1930s when the sign was installed, there was over 3,400 permits 
for illuminated signs that were issued in Manhattan, and the Dublin House's harp is only one of three signs that remain. It's been Irish-owned and operated for over 100 years. It's a big part of New York City history. And there's this one quote on their website that I really like, and it says, While the world around us has changed, you can count on the same ambiance and charm the Dublin House has provided for the past 100 years, making it one of the last true Irish pubs in New York City. Beautiful harp neon sign outside with a wonderful green glow. You walk inside, it's this like old school, charming pub, small booths, little place where you can hang your jackets and hats. Anyway, taking the subway, there's obviously a lot of stations that are older. I fell in love with all the old intricate tile work and designs within the old subway stations. It's the little things like that that really add to the environment you're in and the history of the place. And it really is important to preserve even small tiles that are often overlooked by many people. Okay, also, I think it was in, no, this was the 86th Street subway station, but there was like two doors that are locked, chained and locked that you can access. But on top of it, it says men and woman. And those tiles up there look super old. It's cool that they're still here, but you can access the rooms. So I wonder if inside is just like abandoned bathrooms. I don't know. So after I saw the Dublin house and I went on the subway, I took like the wrong subway and then I came back. I don't know, I kept getting lost like every time I went on the subway because I don't know. I saw like a couple more neon signs that I wasn't expecting to see, which were fun. And there was this one um, store that I wanted to see while I was in New York, but I wasn't sure where it was. And I was like, I'll probably get lost trying to find it. So it was on my list, but I was like, if I don't see it, it's okay. But that same night, I was walking around because like I got lost. And then um, it was the Landmark Cleaners and it's a small business in New York City. Behind the window of the storefront, there's a small custom neon sign that says Landmark Cleaners. And above the sign, um, is the New York City skyline, but it's represented in the form of neon. And it stuck around all these years. Um, I believe the sign was built pre-2001 and it highlights the Twin Towers. And it's a small sign that again is probably often overlooked, but it feels very special and it's been on display of this window for a long time. And I was happy I saw it and it was lit up at night even though the business was closed for the night. and. I noticed it because as I was walking, it was like glowing down the street and I was like, oh my God, is that the sign I want to see? And that was the last thing I did for the night, I think. And then I went back to my hotel room and the next day I went to the New York Transit Museum. I did not realize how amazing it was. Really, this was probably one of my favorite things I saw. All the workers were so nice and so knowledgeable about everything and kept telling me facts and I was like, oh my God, please tell me everything. and. Um, they realized I was super into it. So the Transit Museum was actually located inside a real subway entrance that I believe was only in use for about 10 years and they converted it into a museum. So you actually go down a real subway entrance and you walk inside and it's a museum dedicated to transportation in New York City and the history of it. It's not only that, but they have like all these stuff that they restored, I'll talk about it. And they actually have the original, like I think like the ticket booth section, everything in there is original, the original tile work. I thought a lot of stuff as I was walking around like was customized for the museum um, to showcase like this was here, this was there like with the tiles and stuff. But they told me like, no, this is all original to the subway station. Um, we want to preserve it all because, you know, it's like a history about the subway system in New York. So the station originally opened in the 1930s, I believe, and it was used for 10 years. And after that, it was unused for several decades until it opened as the Transit Museum. This was originally the Court Street Station. They have all these displays of the subway station and the history of building the subway station, all these wonderful old photographs. And on top of that, they have like real stuff you can see too. So they highlight City Hall Station, um, which is a station that is now unused, but I'm gonna talk more about that later. They have subway station lighting um, in the station from 1915. And so there's this one room and it's all the turnstiles through the decades, like how you would pay with coins and then uh, the subway card and all that, dating back to like the earlier 1900s, all the way to modern day. And it was very cool to see. And I'm just realizing there was a section in the museum with, um, it was almost like a telephone booth with old telephones in there. And I thought they built that 
for the museum to showcase like the old phones at the time but i think that's original to the subway station very cool so i love seeing all the turnstiles um and it's cool to see because it was like originally wooden and then over the years you see the different materials they use in the stylization of these turnstiles there was one that was built specifically for the world's fair and it's really interesting um for the new york world's fair they um there was a lot of updates they would do to public transportation specifically for the world's fair and one of them was this turnstile and the subway station you would use to go to the world's fair the turnstile they charge you not only for entrance but also to exit they charge you i believe 10 cents to enter and five cents to exit and they even had like the old original intercom system that dates back way back then and they still use it today and you can actually stand there and sometimes hear them talking to each other still and they have these old bells on display the transit museum really is a must do like if you go to new york city listen fly into jfk airport stay at the twa hotel well you don't have to stay there go check out the twa hotel and make sure you see the transit museum okay there's other stuff too that i haven't talked about yet but these two things make sure you see okay thank you <laughs> um so when i went there i didn't realize you guys okay so they literally have subway cars on display throughout the whole century like showcasing what the first subway cars looked like all the way to pretty much modern day they actually restored like the exterior and interior of these cars you can walk inside each one and since it's in a real subway station they're like parked you know where they're supposed to be parked but i didn't realize this was here and you literally can go inside every single subway bus and see how it was built what it looked like the materials they used like through the century it's crazy and they even had advertisements because you know when you go on the subway there's all these ads they even had like all the advertisements through the decades and they told me like the earlier cars too from like the early 1900s the ads were also printed in color it wasn't just printed in color to showcase it today like they were like no it was originally printed in color but they like reproduced all the ads and stuff and of course like the earlier cars have much higher quality material with seats and the straps like it was real leather straps you would hold on to and the seats were like woven and you know so much labor and hard work went into it and it was more beautiful but it is very interesting to see how much it's changed through the years um even like the space of it the entrance like they made the um the doorways wider and the subway cars just like three inches um, bigger so it can fit more people and a lot of stuff I learned because of the workers there because they were so nice and they saw how interested I was and they kept telling me cool facts about it that I probably wouldn't have noticed um, if I was just like if I didn't speak to them but even little things it's cool to see the different fans they would use like to cool people off in the cars and I did like a highlight on my Instagram for the New York Transit Museum like in my story highlights if you want to check that out and what was very interesting to see is that for the World's Fair, I believe the 1930s World's Fair, they wanted to uh, sort of promote it with the subway bus, but they didn't have they didn't have enough money to build like a new subway bus, so they used like the original subway carts from like 1914 or something, and um, just repainted the exterior, and it's like a vintage subway bus that they used, but. They repainted the outside and repainted the inside and then they widened the doors and like you can see like the material difference where the original was metal and then the part where they widened the doors they used like wood. I know it's crazy to see and I also learned that because of one of the workers who was really nice. And again I just love seeing all the ads for it and as you like go into the cart from like the 60s they have like the World's Fair ads and stuff. And they had all these signs on display on all this like public transportation information very cool there was one of the turnstiles that i really liked i believe was from the 50s but it had this very like streamlined modern look to it um it reminded me so much of the pan pacific auditorium because it's that same curved shape with uh, the same color palette and it also has like those stripes around it and that was the new york transit museum there was so much more to it they had a little gift shop too and again everyone was so nice i bought a t-shirt one because i packed for the wrong um, weather. I thought it was gonna be much colder, uh, but it wasn't. So I bought a t-shirt and it's also very cute. So very nice. So after that, I met up with my friend and we were walking around and there was this like movie theater that has like a peephole outside that we just accidentally saw. We both knew about it, but we didn't know where it was. And it's like a little peephole that you can like look into and you can get a glimpse of the movie that people are watching. Cute little thing, you know? Okay, so more neon signs. And then we went to Cafe Reggio. 
and this was established in 1927 and it's home to the original cappuccino and it's the oldest cafe in Greenwich Village. The cafe itself is very small and you could tell there's just so much history here. There was a little dining nook and just all this incredible artwork all around. The bathroom door is super tiny. The seats are really charming. It opened in the 1920s and it was the first Italian coffee shop in the United States. And there's all these original works of art in the cafe surrounding you as you sit back. And some of them even date back to the Renaissance. And there's this beautiful cappuccino machine on display that claims to be the first of its kind in America. And back in the 1920s and 1930s, people would come here to see and use this cappuccino machine. And this place is still here. We got some food and drinks. It was amazing and really such a unique, incredible experience. And all the ingredients they need for their foods and their drinks, they try to buy from local and historical vendors in the city, which is just incredible. And, and yeah, I'm very happy I went here. I didn't know about it. My friend recommended it to me. So thank you. Really a great experience. After that, we went to Cat's Deli, which is an iconic known uh, New York spot. And it was established in 1888. And so outside, there's a really great neon sign. And inside really is like, Again, like it transported back in time and it's amazing. There's all these wonderful neon signs everywhere um, and it was packed, filled with people. And I went on their website to learn some more history of this place. So here are some quotes from their website. In the early part of the 20th century, the Lower East Side was home to millions of newly immigrated families. This, along with lack of public and private transportation, forged a solid community such that cats became a focal point for congregating. On Fridays, the neighborhood turned out to enjoy franks and beans, a cat's tradition. During World War II, the three sons of the owners were all serving their country in the armed forces, and the family tradition of sending food to their sons became the company's slogan, send a salami to your boy in the army. And just walking around, it was really crowded, but we walked around and just seeing all little pieces of history here and there was really incredible. This again is another site you should definitely go to if you're in New York. And then down the block was Russ and Daughters, the original owner, Joel Russ, um, opened his shop in 1914, and in 1933, he renamed his business to Russ and & Daughters. And apparently this was um, a big deal since back then, a lot of businesses had and sons in their name, and this was the first time that a business had and daughters. And it's an appetizing shop that moved to its current location in 1920 and has been there ever since. And when I took a peek inside through the windows, the business is really cute, it's so old-fashioned inside. And next time I'm in town and if they're open, I gotta go check it out in person. So I also went to Coney Island and this experience, like I couldn't believe this happened. And this is like another example where I feel like everything I did was just like for some reason elevated. I didn't know much about Coney Island. Um, like I didn't, in terms of like, I didn't know how much historical aspects were still there, how much original buildings and signage were still around. But I knew the Wonder Wheel was there and I really wanted to see the Wonder Wheel signage too. So that was the main reason why I went. So let's get into everything that happened and and an incredible surprise that I was very shocked about. Dino's Wonder Wheel, it was invented by Charles Herman and it was built in 1920 by the eccentric Ferris Wheel Company. And it was originally called the Dip the Dip by its inventor. And when the ride was created, an article in Science and Invention described the new ride as a real thrill like you have probably never had before, at least not at this great height. So it's 150 feet tall um, and weighs 200 tons. The Wonder Wheel has 24 cars. And pretty much what it is, it's like a Ferris wheel, but 16 of these little carts are swinging and eight are stationary. And each car holds six people. Okay. I didn't realize that the Wonder Wheel was like a fully sort of uh, animated wheel like that. Oh my god, I have so much to say. And the Ferris Wheel at Disney California Adventure is inspired by Wonder Wheel because it has the same kind of uh, ride experience. And I believe the, one, the Wonder Wheel was like the first of its kind, so it's crazy, and it was built in the 1920s. And it's maintained a perfect safety record for its entire history. The 18 original co-owners of the wheel worked as construction men to ensure quality throughout the building process. Each year, the 400,000 pound ride is overhauled and painted to protect it from the elements of weather, wear, and tear. So they have this really lovely neon sign outside and it's animated. I saw it in the daytime, so it wasn't lit. I'm wanting to see this one for years, so I'm very happy I saw it. So now to get into what happened when I was at Coney Island. So I go through the sort of side entrance to take photos of the Wonder Wheel sign. And as I'm there, there's this like large bus or car 
and a lot of um, workers. And at first I assumed they're like workers for the Wonder Wheel section, like the theme amusement park section of Coney Island. But no one was riding the wheel and the wheel wasn't like turning. So then I walk up to boardwalk section, I guess, of Coney Island. Oh my God, <laughs> okay. I walk there and the first thing I notice is, um, I'm like, okay, which way should I go? I go one way and I notice a crowd of people. They're all like lined up behind something and like looking, looking in, cer in a certain direction. In front of the crowd, I see all of these, um, what look to be vintage facades a vintage lemonade stand, cotton candy stand, all this stuff. And so I see all of this from afar. I'm like, wow, Coney Island has preserved so much of its history and original structures and facades. I had no idea. This is insane. This is so cool. That was my original thought because I had no idea like what was there, what to look at. I didn't look at photos and things. Um, there was like a funnel cake stand. It was really cute. Everything was so awesome, really great, whatever. And I'm standing really far back. And then I noticed there's a film crew and I'm like, oh, they're filming something. And I'm like, oh, they're probably filming like a vintage TV show or movie here because everything is like preserved. I'm like, because everything is like vintage here. Like I initially thought all of this was a part of Coney Island. Like, and then I see bunch of actors in costumes. Everyone's in vintage apparel. And it was a sight to see. This was really cool, right? They're not like filming yet and everyone's sort of walking around. So I'm like, okay, I'll come back to this because I have no idea what's going on. This is cool, but... I was like, maybe they'll finish filming and then I could go to the set, not the set. I was like, and I can go to these stands and get better pictures. So honestly, like I had no idea what was going on. And I assume they're just filming in this like section in that area because there's so much historic aspects here. So I walk past all these people because I want to go to where the Wonder Wheel is and see all the rides and stuff there. So I go past everyone and I go down to the section and all the rides are closed. Um, like nothing's open. And I'm like, oh, I guess they're just like, I guess Coney Island, like the rides are closed for the day, whatever. But as I step down, there's not a single person there. There is these like vintage paintings of clowns as you enter and I'm like, oh my God, this is so cute. Everything is so vintage. Like I can't believe there's so much charm here that's preserved. I'm walking around and I'm like mesmerized and I noticed that all the games in the section, like there was nobody, there was no workers, nothing like, so I was so very confused and I was like, I guess like it's closed for the day, but you can still walk around. Like I didn't know what was going on. And I noticed that everything here is like vintage. The games themselves, the first thing I noticed was like, I was looking at, there's those games where it's like hit the bowling pins and then like win a prize. So the first thing I start to notice is like uh, the bowling pins themselves look vintage. And then I see the prizes behind them and they're like stuffed animals. And I'm like, wait a minute. These also are they like retro reproductions and then I see all these hand painted signs. I'm like, wait, why is everything literally vintage? How cute. So I just assume that all these games and everything here, they want it to look vintage because like Coney Island is like a historic part of town. But boy, was I wrong. So, um, so I'm like walking around taking photos and I'm like, this is really cool. And then I see like little um, flags and pennants with uh, vintage graphics on them and like everything is hand painted and I'm like literally what's going on this is awesome so in my mind at first I was like I wish it was sort of open I'd want to win one of these like retro prizes but there's literally no one but all the stuff is out and I don't know why I didn't think like why is all this stuff just like out when the place is closed I see one sign and it says like four tosses for 15 cents and I'm like wait a minute this doesn't sound right and then I realized like oh they're probably filming here oops i was alone too and i was like i don't know like what's going on so i'm like are the signs just painted and made to film here or is everything here a false facade and is everything here set up for the filming of whatever it is i think it was maybe marvelous miss Maisel. so i'm like beyond confused and i'm like i don't know what is temporary and what is permanent so i just took a million photos of everything and i'm like okay i'm really confused i'm gonna go back up to the main area where everyone is and like scope it out and then because I realized I'm like wait so the lemonade stand everything is a movie set like this whole section is built to look like vintage Coney Island so I'm like what's real and what is it like I was so confused so then I walk out of this area and I'm just like standing somewhere and it's all these actors in like old-fashioned attire and I'm like okay so I walk through everyone and I realize I am not supposed to be here after I saw everything 
and I was literally just so confused. Like, I didn't know what was going on at all. I was like, I felt like everywhere I went, I kept being transported to like different areas and alternate worlds, like while I was in New York. Five seconds after I step away, I hear, I don't know if they said action, like I hear something happens and all the rides turn on, music starts playing, the wonder wheel starts rotating, everything is like moving in action, all the actors start walking in, everyone goes to that area I was in. I was like, oh my God, I'm not, I was not supposed to be there. So if I was there for like 10 seconds longer, I would have probably been in the shot where I'm not supposed to be. I'm like, oh my God, thank God I walked away because I literally did not know what was going on. But really like, I cannot believe I saw all that. And I posted photos on my Instagram and it's just like, even the entrance to Coney Island was built for whatever they're filming and everyone, was in full attire with vintage um, baby strollers, vintage prizes, um, vintage clothing. It was so cool. And I can't believe I saw like Coney Island almost in its prime, even though it wasn't real. And I thought it was real because I didn't even realize they were filming in all these different sections. I don't even know how this all happened. A lot of the vintage food stands and everything I saw wasn't actually vintage. It was sort of just like a reproduction for a movie set or a TV show set and really blew my mind because I didn't realize until after I saw everything. And then I saw my friend who lives in New York and I asked him and he's like, yeah, Coney Island doesn't look like that. I'm like, what? So yeah, the next time if I ever go back to Coney Island, it's not gonna look the way it did and I thought it looked like that. And it's just like, imagine you go somewhere and everything looks like vintage and preserved and you think it's like that, but it actually isn't. And like, I didn't realize. Anyways, it's tripped me out. Okay, outside of this area, like while you're like in Coney Island, there's this iconic food stand uh, called Nathan's Famous and it's pretty large and it has beautiful neon signs outside so much original stuff still intact on this building so the first Nathan's Famous stand opened in Coney Island in 1916 and it's still in its original location it began as a nickel hot dog stand and the term kosher style was actually invented at this hot dog stand and like I said outside a bunch of wonderful historic neon signs and you order your food, sit outside next to some lovely, um, you know those old vintage like metal umbrellas? They had a bunch of those. It was very cute. And I didn't know how big this building was, so I'm happy it was that big. I would love to see it again at night, fully lit up. So yeah, that was my experience at Coney Island. I can't believe it happened, but it was pretty awesome. I also got to see the original City Hall Station that was built in 1904. And you can't like leave the subway when you go through it, but you can peek outside and see it. And it's fully intact and stunning. And it's just there unused. I wish they would stop so you can actually like go outside. And it's like, I think on the sixth train or something. And when the train ends, you're supposed to get off. But if you like stay on, you can go through it and see it. Beautiful, you guys. And I'm going to end it on this one last place that I went to. Right before I went back to the airport, I want to stop by and see the Hess Estate Triangle. The story of this is pretty crazy. It's located in New York City's West Village neighborhood, and there is a cigar shop called the Village Cigar Shop, and it's right outside the cigar shop. It was at one point the smallest plot of private property in all of New York City, and it is a triangle on the ground that measures 25 and a half inches by 27 and a half inches. The story is pretty wild. And here's an excerpt from online. The plaque is a result of a dispute between the city government and the estate of David Hess, a landlord from Philadelphia who owned a five-story apartment building. So in the 1910s, the city claimed a bunch of property and were planning to demolish 253 buildings in the area to widen 7th Avenue and to expand the subway. The Hess family really didn't want to lose their property, obviously but they lost their property and in the 1920s they discovered that when the city pretty much seized the area they had missed a small corner and the family set up a notice of possession and this was the corner that was about 25 to 27 inches and the city asked them to donate the property to the public and they said hell no pretty much and they installed this mosaic and this mosaic was installed in the 1920s and it's still here today and it was, this was the smallest plot of private property. Um, and the mosaic reads, property of the Hess estate, which has never been dedicated for public purposes. And it's a small triangle on the ground that you can just walk over and see. In 1938, the property 
was sold to the village cigar store for $100. And then it was owned by another property later on. And in 1995, it was sold again. And the plaque has been left on the ground ever since. And that was the last stop I wanted to see before I went back to the airport, so I had my luggage with me, taking photos, drank some coffee. Then I went back to JFK. I saw the wonderful, beautiful TWA hotel from the outside. And I went on my flight, came back home, and it was amazing. Anyway, thanks for listening. I love New York City. There's so much I didn't see that I still need to see, like the Lexington Candy Shop, which was founded in 1925 and is still here today. I wish I had enough time to go there, but I can't wait to go back. There's so much history there. I hope I didn't ramble on too much. And if you want to support me or buy anything from my shop, you can go to MerchMotel.com and use code RADIO for 15% off your entire purchase. Thanks for tuning in to Merch Motel Radio. This has been a fun time nerding out about New York City history. Okay, bye guys.